Good evening. Um, I want to get into Ephesians. I understand you're in Ephesians chapter 2, and I really do want to get there. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. But I want to frame, I guess, what I want to say um, with you knowing a little bit about my story, because I think for some of us in here, we can relate to one another. And I want you to know that though I come with some academic background and some pastoral background, the reason I, I have a seat up here on the stage is I'm convinced is because, uh, because of my story, and, and maybe you have some, uh, somewhat of a similar story. And so as we look at this issue tonight of grace and, and faith, and for me it's couched in, uh, in my story, and, and it takes me back to a freshman, my freshman year in college, I went to ASU, and God found me at Arizona State University, amazingly, um, in the Disneyland of colleges and uh, God reached down and found this 18-year-old kid, and uh, though I was religious growing up, I really didn't know what it meant to know Jesus personally. And through some conversations with some ministries there on campus, uh, lo and behold, in October of 19, uh, um, I, uh, I knew Jesus personally, and my life was, uh, was set on this course that, that I just had no idea that that's why God was pulling me all the way from the East Coast out to Arizona. And, and so when I was in college, guys, my life really revolved around looking at people in one of two ways. You either knew Jesus, uh, and I was just naive and young enough to know that meaning when you know Jesus, you really know Jesus. It's evident in your life. Or you didn't know Jesus. And if you knew Jesus, I wanted to fellowship with you and, and pray with you and have you teach me and worship together and go on missions trips and just save the world. And if you didn't know Jesus, I wanted you to know Jesus. And really, truthfully, when I looked at people in my four years at Arizona State, I really saw people in one of two categories. You either knew them or you didn't. And then I graduated, and, and probably like for most of us, you graduate and you get busy with life. And I got a job and then started dating this wonderful girl and... and end up getting married, and, and then we had some kids, and I got more jobs and more kids, and, and God really blessed me over the past, I don't know, 15, 18 years. I have three wonderful children. I have an 11-year-old, and a 7, and a 5-year-old, and I was married for 13 years. But in that time, life just got to be this busy, suburban, I drive a minivan, I literally live on a cul-de-sac type life. Two dogs, one just died. And all the while in the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I would always start to, start to remember, I'd have little flashbacks of college, maybe, maybe you have a similar experience, where you remember the days of old, and, and they seem so far away at times, where, where that fire, that, that desire to know God, and to, to just fall in love with Him every day, just that, that, that fire became just kind of this smoldering little ember. And I really, honestly, guys, I chalked it up to, that's the way life goes, right? You, you do all these crazy things in college, and you plan all these great dreams, and, and, and yet, then life gets busy, and, and you realize the reality of life is more of, of getting a job and raising kids and being safe and living in a cul-de-sac and driving a minivan, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I realized in my life, it wasn't, wasn't fulfilling as much as I thought it would be. It was safe, if I could be completely honest with you. Pretty safe. 
I pastored a church. Marty was a part of our church plant, pastored a church in the late 90s, and it was an adventuresome. And so it wasn't as if we were completely void of God. It was just a pretty safe life. Paycheck came every couple weeks, food on the table. Leanne's a nurse, and, and, uh, and so God was just taking care of us, and we felt extremely blessed. And then in March of last year, 2010 in March, um, the kids and I are at home, and Leanne's coming home from work. And it's about 9 o'clock. She worked the 7 to 7 shift over at PCH, and, and it was about 9 or so. And, and that wasn't atypical, but about 9.30, I threw out a couple texts, and I didn't get a response. And, um, and about 9.45, I, you know, I got, the, I got that on the door. And I went and answered the door and looked at the peephole, and there was uh, Gilbert PD and, um, and two, uh, two people in black windbreakers. And guys, I, li- I literally thought it was the FBI... And I started thinking, what have I done that's so bad that the FBI is coming to my house? And so I'm looking back. My kids are playing here. It's Saturday night. And the kids are playing. I'm just thinking, well, who's going to take care of them now? Leanne's not home. I'm about to get cuffed for something and taken out. So I crack open the door. And, and, and they're just looking, they're looking very serious. So I said, yeah, yeah, I help you. And, and the, the police officer said, is, are you Greg Tonkinson? I said, yeah. And he said, um, he said, we need to come in and talk. And I said, um, I got three kids back here. I, you know, I, I don't know who these guys are. And he said, well, this is a, this is a, a police chaplain. And this is a, um, a child care worker. We, we need to come in. So I let him in, and the rest, guys, honestly played out like a Hollywood movie. Literally played out like it was scripted. He said, you, you, you're going to want to sit down. And I said, if you have to tell me something, tell me something. And, uh, and he said, um, about an hour ago, uh, your wife was uh, at the corner of Greenfield and Germain, and uh, she was waiting at the stoplight. She got hit from behind. Um, and, and she died. Um, March 6th, 2010. And I won't get into the details of that week. Um, needless to say, it was uh, not what we expected. And I don't remember much about the night. I really don't. But I do remember gathering my kids. At the time, they were 4, 6, and 10. And they knew something was wrong because I was on the ground and I could barely get up. But they came over to my side and Ten-year-old was crying, and my six-year-old and four-year-old, they didn't know what was going on. They were scared for dad. We got into a huddle that night, and I said, um, guys, I need to tell you something. Mommy, uh, mommy went to heaven tonight. I don't know what that, that means necessarily. I don't know what that looks like. I can't tell you a whole lot of details. But mommy's with Jesus tonight. And guys, it's 18 months later, and it was like it was yesterday, and and I know some of you can relate to that, and so the reason I share that with you is to frame what I'm about to say, because regardless of the academics and regardless of the experience, um, I share with you tonight because something happened on that night that's been with me for the past 18 months, and it's that feeling I had, the same feeling I had in college. 
The same feeling that has come back now into my 40s where I'm looking at people saying, you either know Jesus or you don't. And if you do, I want to do this. I want to talk about him and learn from each other and and worship and have you teach me. And, and, And if you don't know him, I want you to know him because now... Now it matters. And maybe before it mattered, I just, I just got into a comfortable life. Now it matters, guys, because someone's on the other side. And so when I talk about faith and I talk about heaven and I talk about grace and, and we sing these songs, that beautiful songs we sang tonight, I filtered all through. I wonder what Leanne's doing tonight. I wonder what worship looks like in heaven. I mean, is this, is this, is this real? Because some of you, we've got to make some decisions tonight. You may have come for an academic exercise tonight, and that's fine. I listened to last week's, uh, or two weeks ago, the, the podcast, and uh, boy, you're a lively bunch. And I'm praying you give me some grace tonight. Um, throw me some softball questions. Ask me about my kids. I love the interaction here. I really do. I love the fact that you're really living out biblical community, which is we're sharpening each other But this is our source, right? It's not coming from our wisdom. It's not coming from our speculation. It's come from God's word. And so let's talk about God's word tonight. But lest it be just an academic exercise, you need to ask yourself right here in the seat that you're in, does this really matter at the end of the day? And it took the woman I love to go away from this place at 35 years old for me to wake back up and to look back into God's word and now read it with the idea that, God, I don't get a lot of this. I really don't. But I believe it. Um, so do you believe this? If you believe it, then we can have really fun conversations about interesting things tonight. But if you're still at a place where you're still investigating, is this even real or not? Some of the stuff we may talk about tonight may just go right over here because that's not where you're at, and that's okay. Before we start talking about the technicalities and, and the, the, the minutia of Scripture, let's back up to the place where you ask and answer the question for yourself tonight, not for the person next to you, but for yourself. Do I believe what's in here? And then we can have a great time asking God a bunch of questions tonight. Um, that will be my... Uh, That's the answer I will defer to, by the way. If I don't know it, I will just say, just ask God. He'll help you out tonight, okay? So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And what I want to start with tonight, uh, I believe Pastor Lynn began in chapter 2, verse 1, and I think he ended in 2, verse 1. And you all mercilessly took him on a bunch of rabbit trails a couple weeks ago. Uh, Fun, fun conversations. I really enjoyed it. And I want to dovetail on, on a couple of things he mentioned tonight. And again, if you have a question, please, let's just ask and, and uh, ask each other some questions tonight. Here's the question I have for you as we begin. And that is, what is one of the most famous verses in the Bible that we find in Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Something about not of works and it's a gift and... Don't boast about it. So Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 is the verses that we teach in Awanas or we learn in Sunday school and we memorize and we champion those. And those are wonderful verses. In fact, some 
theologians believe that the kernel of the gospel is found in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And I wholeheartedly believe that, 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 that the, the truth, if I'm going to share God's love with someone, I turn them to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, because it's all about God. It's nothing about us. And that's a great place to begin when we talk about our journey with God. It's all about Him and what He did for us. And so Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, of course, the result is in verse 10. But my contention is this, and I think we do this all the time. I certainly do. If you don't understand verses 1 through 7, then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is very vanilla to you, very bland to you. But if you grasp 1 through 7, then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 takes on an incredibly new meaning. It's, it's, it's the colors that, that fill the, the palette. Uh, of the of the of the the, the the canvas that God is writing on here, as opposed to just focusing on two eight and nine, and so we look back in verse one, as Lynn mentioned uh, in uh, three weeks ago, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and I think you all agreed, or at least it sounded like on the podcast that you all agreed. Can a Christian be dead in their trespasses and sins? And the universal answer is. No, yeah, no, you you can't, okay, so we're starting right there, okay, you cannot be dead in your trespasses and sins, okay, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says in verse 3, among them too, we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Paul is setting up basically an argument here. And guys, we see this throughout the scriptures that, he, that, that, that the writers of the both the Old and New Testament, primarily the New Testament, they build arguments. And the way they build their argument is it's either A or B. Or A, then B, or but it's one or two. And what he's saying here is, before we get to two, let's understand one. One is, this is where you were. So let's not get to two yet. Let's understand and let's wallow in this for a second. This is where you were. Is everyone clear on that? Do you understand that? Would you agree that this is where you were? And you say, well... I don't know, my story is a little different than yours. I may have grown up in church and I've never really felt like a son or a daughter of disobedience. I really never felt like I was living according to the prince of the power of the air. And what we call this, I guess, in, in biblical terms is positionally, guys, positionally, this was true of you. But I was a really good kid growing up. And you were a really good son of disobedience. But I, but I really, I didn't commit any of the seven deadly sins. Well, then you were a really good daughter of the prince of the power of the air. But nonetheless, you were still under the control or authority of Satan. Now, here's what I want to ask, and I guess maybe have you answer for yourself or for all of us tonight. Is there another option? Can 
can I be, can I, okay, Greg, I understand maybe that before I came to Jesus, I was over here. And now after I've come to Jesus, I'm over here. Before I came to Jesus, I was a son or daughter of disobedience. I was led by the power of the prince of this air, i.e. Satan. But now I'm under Jesus's authority. My question is tonight, is there any other option for anyone that's ever lived? Ever. Is there, a, is there a third place here that we can exist or is it either or? How, can I get anyone? Is it either or? Raise your hand if you agree with me. It's either or. Now guys, by raising our hands, you have to understand you are making a very, very profound, very unpopular Boat of confidence, if you believe that. I, I think you should. But the reason I say it's unpopular is because what you're admitting to is I am either a son or daughter of disobedience. I'm either a child of wrath, of, of God's wrath, under God's wrath, or I'm in verse 4 through 7. I can't be both. I'm either over here, and let me just read it again. I formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, i.e. the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, I formerly lived in the lusts of my flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and was by nature, I was a child of wrath. That's what, by a show of hands, you're admitting that's where I once was. It looks a little different in all of our lives. I get that. But back to my college days, you either know Jesus or you're living like this. Are we, am I safe on that ground or do we want to have any discussion on that? Okay. I think we all agree with that because most of us in here, we're not here anymore. And we have no problem admitting that I once was here, but now I'm over there. That's not my issue for tonight. Here's my issue. We've settled this right here, which is, I'm, you know, I used to be this, but now I'm over here. My issue is, what does it look like to be over here? What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your day-to-day operations? And this is where I think we've really... Um, We've really hurt ourselves, I think. Because this is, this, is, this is discipleship. This is sanctification. This is messy Christianity right here. Lynn mentioned last week the term backslidden Christians, I believe. Right? And how many would you agree that, that you know or are or the person next to you has experienced backslidden Christianity? Okay, quite a few of us. If I were to ask you, what does that look like? What does that mean? I'm sure we'd have a variety of different answers. You may have heard the term nominal Christian, right? I, you know, who's your, you know, is your friend a Christian? Well, they're kind of a nominal Christian. What, what does that even mean? Can you be a backslidden Christian? Can you be a nominal Christian? Uh, Francis Chan, you know, is kind of bringing back the phrase, can you be a lukewarm Christian? Is that even an option? 
So I'll throw this out and let us chew on this. I say you're either over here, you're a son or daughter of disobedience, or you're over here. And we'll talk about what this means to be over here, but you're saved by the blood of Christ and you are being transformed into the image of Christ. And here's where I'm going to stick my neck out. And it's evident in your life. Uh oh. It's evident in your life. Explain that in just a moment. Question? Comment? About to kick me off? No, I just need to get like a, a definition for. for for wrath, what does that mean in your mind? I'm just trying to understand. You know, I'm kind of new to this, so I'm just trying to get the full meaning of what you're saying when you're using that word. When I say you're a child of wrath, you're under the conclusion of verses 1 through 3a is verse 3b. That being a child of wrath, you're both a child of wrath and you're under God's wrath. And being a child of wrath, I believe, is demonstrated or fleshed out in verses 1, 2, and 3a. So, for example, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You formerly walked according to the course of... Well, if you are a child of wrath, then you're currently walking according to the course of this world. You're currently uh, under Satan's authority. And you are living in the lusts of your flesh. And you're indulging in the desires of your flesh and your mind. And you are a child of wrath. Or therefore, the conclusion is you are a child of wrath. And let me add, I guess, you are under God's wrath at that point. And so God is a very jealous God. He takes this stuff very seriously. And if you were in this camp right here, guys, that's the description Paul gives of who you are positionally. Well, you, I don't... I don't know Jesus, but I don't look like this. Positionally, you do look like this. And what do I mean by positionally? Well, watch in verse 4. It says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Positionally, what I mean is is right now, if you're over here, positionally, the moment you came into the faith, and the beauty of the Christian church, guys, is that every story is a little different of how you came to faith. It's a wonderful discussion. What does it mean to come to faith, and how does one exactly do that? Is it by a booklet, or is it, you know, do I have to, is it Lord and Savior, just Savior? Is it believe and repent? Is it just believe? It's a great discussion for some other day. However you did it, whatever that means to you, when you come to know Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, positionally, you are instantly seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Not right now, you're not there now physically, but positionally, that's how much God values you and me. He says when we were dead in our transgressions, God took the opportunity to make us alive with Christ. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we share this royal status and authority with Christ right now, guys. Right now we do. You and I do right now. We share a royal status 
and authority with Christ. And I share that with you because when we get to then, for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, here's where I think the problem is. For me anyway, maybe you can track. I know I'm over here, God, because I know exactly what it means to be saved. Personally, I know what that means. I don't know if I could teach it real well, but I know what it means for me. But when you just described what it looks like to be a son or daughter of disobedience, especially verse 3, Let's just be honest tonight, guys. How many of you, when I read verse 3, have this little feeling inside of you that you're living like that or have lived like that as a Christian? Among them, too, we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Am I the only one? I'll admit it. I don't care. My pants are down tonight, so I'll admit it. Here I am. Okay, can we admit that? Okay, so the confusion is this, Greg, you're saying that that's what a son or daughter of disobedience acts like. I got to be honest with you, I'm positionally in heaven right now, but I feel like I'm I'm over here somewhere. I I feel like I'm living out of the lusts of my flesh. I don't, maybe I don't want to, maybe I don't, I don't, but I feel like that's what I'm doing. And I guess I just want to come along tonight, guys, and encourage you. If you are verse 4 and following, if you are saved by grace through faith, that cannot be or ever be taken away from you. And part of the sanctification process is messy and it's ugly and it's not glorification instantly. There's struggle and there's temptation and there's times we succeed and times we fail and more times we succeed and probably more times we fail. But the reality is, is God is bringing us this way. And what's frustrating the church today is many of us think we can do this. I'm creating a new way. And I call this the middle way. And the middle way says... I don't want this. That sounds bad. But I'm not sure that I want to do all of this. Because when Pastor Lynn in a few weeks gets to chapters 4, 5, and 6, guys, the temperature is going to be raised in terms of what's expected of you as a believer in Christ. It's hard, it's difficult, it's suffering, it's persevering, it's living in a hopeless world trying to live with hope. And a lot of us cash our chips in and say, I want to play it safe for the next X amount of years. So why can't we just do this? I don't want that. I've punched my ticket. I don't want to be this radical, though. Those weird people. You got to get tattoos with scripture verses and got to wear cool clothes. I don't want to do that. I just want to be normal. Can I be normal? Can I love Jesus and just be normal? Well, this is my normal right here. And what I guess we have to ask ourselves maybe is, is that even an option? Is this an option? Do I have this option? Do I have it? Can I have it? And the crowd said, no, you can't have it. Do you think a lot of people want it? Do you think a lot of people live their lives like they do have it? Guys, I got to be honest with you. Um, 
And I'll get to verse, verse 8 here in just a second. But this is a very, very dangerous place if you're living here right now. Very dangerous. Scripture comes along to us in several places and says, Jesus says, listen, I'm not giving you a middle option. All of the follow me passages, all the times where Jesus talks about repenting and following him, he gives one of two options, either do it or don't. And if you don't, this is the area you're going to live in if you don't. If you do, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of suffering. And it's a lot of giving up, a lot of sacrifices. But this is where you end up is right over here. And I gotta, I gotta be honest with you guys, I am personally, in my own life and in the lives of those I love around me, I'm tired of seeing it. In fact, many, many books are coming out now. Some of you may have read Chan's Crazy Love. Some of you may have read uh, Platt's Radical. Um, they're talking about this, and they're coming back as me- prominent men of the church saying, we're tired of you guys creating this middle ground because it's not biblical. You don't have that option, so stop it. And that's a tough message. But here's the amazing thing. Guess what the church is doing when they hear that message? They're responding. It's a beautiful thing when they respond to that message. Get off the fence is what the message is being told. And what we find in Ephesians chapter 2 is Paul's assuming you're either in one place or the other. Okay, so I I don't want to stay here. I want to stay over here because this is, watch this. If I were to ask someone here tonight, give me a definition of grace, what would your best definition of grace be? What do you got? What's the definition of grace? It's a gift I don't deserve. Anyone want to add to that? I'm sorry? Nope. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. No strings attached. It's a gift I don't deserve. There's no strings attached. Um, can I read you something out of... You're all right. That's right. I mean, it's, it's undeserved. It's, it's uh, uh, unmerited favor is the technical term. You didn't deserve it. You got it. We all get that. I think we've heard that. I don't know if you've ever read Ragamuffin Gospel by uh, Brenning Manning. Manning uh, became a Christian and then became an alcoholic after he became a Christian. I don't say how cool is that in the sense of that he's struggling with alcohol. I say how cool is that, that that's his story and he's over here. Because there's a lot of people in the church, guys, that are saying, wait a minute, you became a Christian, then you became an alcoholic. You can't be over here. And Brenning's saying, yeah, but I am. What are you going to do about it? And the church throws its arms up and we get mad at him because we don't know what to do with that. So this is what this guy writes in this book. Listen to this. See if you can relate. This is his definition of grace. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said, I'm a rational animal. I say, I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. And, and he goes on to write a book about that's what grace is then. Grace is, is God reaching down to a bunch of people that feel like that and saying, you don't deserve about what I'm about to give you. 
even an ounce of it, but I'm going to do it anyway. But it's against the backdrop of where we came from. And this is why I, I, I guess I champion this idea, guys, that it's 100% God, 0% me. Because if it's not, if it's 1% me or 2% me or 5% me, then my grace doesn't, it doesn't feel like grace. It feels a little bit like I earned it. And then we've diluted the definition. I wonder if you would agree with this. Um, Manning says, this is, there is a myth flourishing in the church today that is causing calculable harm. Once converted, fully converted. In other words, once I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, an irreversible, sinless future beckons. Discipleship will be an untarnished success story. Life will be an unbroken, upward spiral toward holiness. Tell that to poor Peter, who after three times professing his love for Jesus on the beach and after receiving the fullness of the Spirit at Pentecost, was still jealous of Paul's apostolic success. And then he ends with this. And I want to I I use this as a backdrop of God's grace. He says, because salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And because that, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding their hands, I will see the following people. I'll see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City who tearfully told me she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I'll see a woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse but did the best she could faced with grueling alternatives. I'll see the businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. I'll see the insecure clergyman addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. I'll see the sexually abused teen molested by his father now selling his body on the street who as he falls asleep each night after his last trick whispers the name of the unknown God he learned about in Sunday school. I'll see the deathbed convert who for decades had his cake and ate it, broke every law of God and man, wallowed in lust and raped the earth. But how, we ask, then the voice says, because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. There they are, there we are, the multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated and got bested by trials, We'll be wearing the bloody garments of life's tribulations, but through it all, we clung to our faith. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. And so when I talk about being over here, guys, and it's evidenced in your life, I'm not talking about having a checklist of things I just work through. I'm talking about understanding the grace of God and responding to his grace. In a way that Pastor Lynn said a few weeks ago, I don't want to sin, God. How could I, based on what you've done for me? When I'm in this middle ground over here, what I'm really saying to God is, I've got this figured out and I'll do things the way I want to do it. You have no understanding of grace if you're right here. But if you're over here, I believe you have a very full understanding of grace, which is, God, I didn't deserve it, but you gave it to me anyway. And my life, God, if you could pick anyone on earth to save, why would you pick me? And God says, now you're getting grace. Now you're understanding grace. It helps us with our judging people. It helps us with our looking at people as if she should be in and he shouldn't be in. And why are they in? And who's coming to our church? 
gets us out of that funk and it gets us into the reality. God, but for the grace go I. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And all of a sudden, what we see in our lives is a transformation. We see blessings and we see evidence of God's faithfulness and we see evidence of our right choices. We see that being played out over and over and over again. But all the while, the cycle goes back to, I'm so undeserving of this, God. And God says, you're exactly right. Here's some more grace. And so our faithful lives over here, guys, isn't because we're great people. It's because we're hopeless people that have been saved by grace. Wouldn't it be great if God could transform a church, a city, a country of people who understand that? So that when we get to verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, now when we read it, we're reading it with an understanding that, oh my gosh, God, you did that for me? Yeah. Um. So how do you respond to that? Your response, God, Paul says your response is through faith. Somebody give me a definition of faith, please. Believing in something unseen. Great. Any, anyone to add to that? Believing in something unseen. What does Hebrews 11 say our faith is? Faith is the hope. Hope of things unseen, the, the conviction of things unseen. Wait, faith is the assurance of. Somebody look up Hebrews eleven one, the conviction of things unseen. The and certain of the things unseen. Okay, there's an element of hope in our faith that the writer of Hebrews mentions. But the bottom line is, you can't see it. And that's what makes grace unbelievable, is you are doing this life over here by what? Faith. This life over here, comfortable, safe, cul-de-sac, minivan life, this is not living by faith. i got to be honest with you guys, it's just not. This life over here, uncertain, I'm a screw-up God, I receive your grace, and oh my gosh, you're giving me more grace, and if you only knew, and God does know, that's why he gives us more. This is living by faith. But the bottom line is, you have to live by faith. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Through believing in something that isn't seen. And that is hard. Guys, I can testify over the past year and a half, I've had dozens of conversations with God. One-to-one, little boy to God, saying, I don't get you. And based on what you took from me, God, I don't even know if I want to get you. And we've had some heart-to-hearts. And and I'm preaching to the choir, I I guess. But you've had some heart-to-hearts. God's okay with that. I think we all know that. But the reason it's heart to heart, the reason is because I'm living by faith. I haven't seen God. God's never audibly spoken to me. I've begged him in the past year and a half. I've begged him. Talk to me, God. Just say something. I've I've seen Leanne twice in dreams. Is that God speaking to me? Is that... I hope not, because it wasn't clear. 
by faith. We, live the, we do this thing by faith. It's the hope that something's going to happen in the life to come. I live with hope. But guys, let's just be honest tonight. It's all faith. You have no more assurance of where you're going or what's going to happen. You can't prove it empirically, scientifically, any more than I can. It's we live by faith. I hope we're right. I think we are. But it's by faith. And that's the beauty of grace, is when you stand here and say, God, I don't deserve it. I, and God says, I know you don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. I'm going to give it to you anyway. All I want you to do, wallowing, mud-loving, dirt-eating, bad person, all I want you to do is believe it. Accept it. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. But your response needs to be by faith. Okay, so isn't there a fine line between living by faith and then uh, earning your grace or earning your salvation? Absolutely. Isn't it it's kind of a, uh, call it a slippery slope. I mean, if you, if you. Yeah, and it's not even a slippery slope. That's the middle, this is the, that's the middle ground. That's what people are doing right here is they're saying, no, I can earn this. Watch this, God. Chan, Chan does a marvelous job. I haven't read Crazy Love. Read Crazy Love. Read Crazy Love. Chan does a marvelous job describing this person here. It's the person that I wrote a few things down because I was so Im- impressed with Chan. So I'll steal his stuff. Chan says, the person here, you drink less and swear less. But besides that, you're not really different. You don't live by faith because your life is so structured. You never have to. You haven't thought about heaven very much at all because you're so consumed with this life now. You love others, but not even close to how much you love yourself. He says, the last time you shared your faith with someone right here, well, you've never probably shared your faith at all with someone. What bothers you about sin, he says, is that there's a penalty to sin. If there were no penalty to sin, you would sin all the more. That's the person right here, the lukewarm, nominal believer. And and Chan argues, and I agree with him, this is the person trying to impress God at times with their life. And guys, God is so unimpressed with our lives. So, it's, so I don't see it as a slippery slope. I agree with Chan. If you're over here, there is no slope. You agree that God has saved you by grace. And you accept it. You just bow down and get on your face and say, I can't believe it, God. I just have to accept it. The people over here are the ones trying to say, God, I can earn this. Watch me do this. And it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's not dangerous for the person that, that, that is, you know, the, the complete son of disobedience. I think uh, Lynn talked last week or a couple weeks ago about the degrees of judgment, the degrees of sin. There's a person over here that's completely reprobate. Not that person, but it's the person kind of right here, right, that knows enough to be dangerous. The religious person, the Pharisees. Let's just earn our way. Now, is it a struggle over here? Do I struggle? Absolutely, I struggle with pride. I want to impress. Okay, true confessions. Um, someone asked me what I was doing tonight, and I could have just told them, uh, I'm going to teach a Bible study. But you know what I told them? I'm going to teach at the mine because it's a big Bible study.
it's just true. I, I, I'm with Manning on this. I do things, Romans 7, okay? I do things I hate, God. But I do them anyway. The difference, I think, between uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 7 is when I do it, I hate that I do it. I, I do it over here. I don't, I don't really hate it. Truth be told, I kind of enjoy it. I do it over here, and I'm sick of doing it over here. I hate doing it. I may do it again. I may wake up tomorrow and tell someone, guess where I taught yesterday? But chances are I'll hate it again. Because I know it's pride. I know it's sin. I'm convicted by that. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Everyone lives by faith, folks. Everyone lives by faith. The atheist lives by faith. You live by faith. I live by faith. The Buddhist lives by faith. Mormon lives by faith. The Muslim lives by faith. We all live by faith. Um, This is for free. I don't know if this works. I teach high school over at Valley Christian, so I show my kids this. I show them a box. And I just make some quadrants. Really simple illustration here. I put on this box over here, uh, I put, uh, put it over here. God exists. God doesn't exist. You guys ever see this? I believe. I don't believe. And what I tell people is just fill in the quad. If you're gonna if you're gonna live by faith, play the odds. Is what I tell my students. Leverage your faith on something you can honestly believe in. And this is what I love about Christian faith is it's so believable. I tell them to fill in the boxes, and so let's just fill in the boxes here. Um, uh, God doesn't exist, and I don't believe. If God doesn't exist and I don't believe in him, what's the net result of my life? What is it? It's nothing, right? God doesn't, I, I live my life the way I wanted to. God doesn't exist in the end, so we're all happy, right? So, so I kind of put like a, uh, kind of like a, a neutral or, I don't know, it's a wash. God doesn't exist and I believe God does exist. What's the net result? There was no God. Leanne died a year and a half ago. I don't know where she is right now. There's no God. It's all a joke. It's one big mystery. And so when I die, it's, you know, whatever. And, but I live my life believing God does exist. What's the net result of my life? I don't know. It, it, probably a good life. Probably a decent life, let's say. Not a great life, but it's a decent life, okay? Still a wash. God exists and I don't believe he exists. What's the net result of my life? It's not good. Right? God exists and I don't believe he exists. Great white throne judgment, Revelation 21. Um, so... But God exists, guys. And God said, I saved you out of the miry clay. I picked you up out of the miry clay, Psalm 40. I I saved you out of that. 
You were a son or daughter of disobedience. I saved you from Satan. I lifted you up out of, my, out of the mercy I have for you. I lifted you up into the heavenly places. Positionally, you're there right now. I'm, gonna, I'm about to, to back the truck up with blessings on your life. All because I'm rich in mercy and I love you. And all I'm asking you to do is, is receive that. And I'm going to take on an adventure. Whether your adventure lasts for five days or five years or 50 years, it's going to be an adventure. And you're going to get to the end of that adventure and then we're going to start the big adventure, i.e. heaven. God exists and I believe in all of that. I put all of my chips in that quadrant. And what I tell my students is leverage your bets on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 being true. If you have any doubt, go ahead and do it. We can get into the historicity, and we can get into the validity of the scriptures, and we can talk about the history of other religions, and that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, you have to make a choice. Do you believe this? And it's a stupid, corny little illustration, but maybe, maybe, maybe it'll help. I don't know. One more thing, and then, and then, and then, and then we're done here. Do you believe the back half of verse uh, verse 8? And I I don't need a show of hands here because you know the answer is, yes, I believe it. But let me just ask, do you really believe it? Let me read it for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Do you believe that you have been saved from verses 1 through 3, and that not of yourself. <laughs> I've got all night. I can wait here all night. I don't know, guys. To me, if, if, we, if we're wrestling with that, Lynn, I know Lynn talked about eternal security a couple weeks ago, and... What gets me to bed at night nowadays, you would think that after what I've been through or my kids have been through, I wouldn't have sinned for 18 months. You would have think that, you know, and, and maybe you're there too. Maybe the tragedy you've experienced or the pain you've experienced, you would think that when you go through something like that, you would stop sinning forever. I, I don't know, maybe a couple of days before I was back sinning. Maybe. Probably giving myself too much credit. What gets me to bed tonight is knowing that no matter what I do on the ride home, God, I'm in. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't lose it. I'm in. And God, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wicked, evil person at times. And yet I'm in. Because it's not of myself. Had it been, I would have screwed it up a long, long time ago. And God says, yeah, you would have, Greg. 
what you're in. You're in. Not because you did something special. You're in because it wasn't of yourself. And guys, when Christians accept that, our lives become radically different. They really do. Um, Kenda Dean wrote a book called Almost Christian. I recommend it. She interviewed a thousand teenagers. And she said to these thousand teenagers, listen, you guys aren't living your lives the way you should be, the way we expect you to live them. What's your deal? And they said two things, Kenda. Uh, one is the church isn't teaching me how to live my life. And she coined a phrase. I think she coined it. I haven't heard it anywhere else. She said churches today are teaching what she calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism means that God spun the world into motion and he has gone somewhere else to check out other galaxies. He's got his busy guy. And so he spun the world into motion and he just kind of vanished. That's deism. Moralistic therapy is saying that when you go to church more times than not, 42 messages out of 52, 40 out of 50, whatever it is, you're hearing a message that says something like this. Be this. Be this good person. Moralistic therapy. Be a good person and God will like you better. He'll love you better. And she said the teenagers are picking up on what the church of today is teaching, which is God is somewhere off doing his thing, so we'll take over. And what we're going to tell you guys is be a good person. That's number one. That's why they're not living out their faith. But here's the more important reason. They said the reason I'm not living out my faith the way that it seems like I should in Scripture, Kenda, is because when I look above me to mom and dad and Bible teacher and youth pastor and executive pastor and worship leader and senior pastor, I'm not seeing them live it out. So why should I? If their faith doesn't amount to much other than be a good person, give a couple bucks to the church, go do your own thing Monday through Saturday, show up with a little bit of guilt on Sunday and life goes on. If that's all faith is, they're saying, Kenda, I don't want it. You can take it. And when I read that, you know what my life consists of now? I got three faces in the back of my minivan listening to everything I say. I got no one to talk to over here. So my phone, my conversations typically with another adult take place on a phone. And my kids will now parrot me whatever I say on the phone. That's three of them. I, got, I hear it in stereo times three. And it's amazing what they're hearing when they parrot it back to me. I'm embarrassed at times. People are watching us all the time. And it's ever present in my life. Probably yours as well. And the teenagers of today, folks, the young people of today are saying, you show me a person that's living by grace through faith. I'll follow that person. I'll get behind that man or woman, mom or dad, aunt or uncle. I want that. I am dying for someone to show me that. I just don't see a whole lot of it. And I, got, I don't know, is she right? Are they right? I think it all revolves around this whole thing right here and so maybe just maybe maybe the challenge for us tonight is to really decide uh, if we if, if we buy this and if we do there is no middle ground if we can decide that now the only other option is well where am i going to land on this 
And if I land over here, I'm just coming to the Father with all my junk. And I'm laying it out before Him. And I'm saying, I'm done. God, I'm done trying to please you or impress you. I'm going to accept the gift of grace. And let's get this adventure going. And maybe if it's not for you, maybe if you feel like you're, you're, you know, this isn't for you, do it for the generation coming up behind us. Because my kids will grow up one day, guys, and they'll go to church, and maybe your kids will be running that church. Maybe you'll be running that church. I want my kids to go to a good church. I want my kids to light the world on fire for Jesus. But they need men and women like you and me to show them what it looks like to light the world on fire for Jesus. With all our junk, with all our pain, with all our problems, we can do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thanks for being gracious to us. Thanks for being gracious to me. Your, your word's a mystery, God, at times. And, uh, and maybe that's why you've left us here in the room a little, a little while longer on earth so we can maybe wrestle with some of these issues before we, before we step into glory. I'm excited about glory, Father. I'm excited about heaven. But God, thank you for allowing us to be excited about what lies ahead tomorrow. God, maybe someone in here tonight, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, accepting your grace is, uh, is a hard, hard concept because, because of pride and because of, of guilt and because of shame and because I don't want you to see all of me. I'm just going to trust, Holy Spirit, that you would break down the walls tonight and that someone would wake up And understand that there is freedom to be found in a relationship with Christ when it is lived by faith in your grace. And God, the joy of singing when we're singing about the freedom of Christ and the joy of singing about the majesty of God and the joy that comes when we show up to Cornerstone and we fellowship with each other, the rich, deep community that the Bible talks about. It's, it's so much better when we're doing it in your grace through faith. So God, maybe, maybe we could do that today. Maybe we could go home and just keep wrestling with this passage and, and, and Pastor Lynn and Pastor Aaron can come back next week and, and, uh, and just, just continue where we left off. Love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you um, for being gracious to me tonight. Thanks.